Last, you know that the uh, book or the prophet that we have now come to is Joel as we work our way through the 12 prophets uh, listed in the latter part of the Old Testament. And I hope that you were in class and learned a lot about Joel. We're going to remind you of a few of those things. And we're going to do this by just reading the first three verses of the opening chapter of Joel as Joel encourages people to remember and to tell what has happened in their lives. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this. The first words of Joel, the Word of God. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. And what follows is the message that we all need to hear. May God bless the reading of his word. When I read the opening words to the prophet Joel, I am always reminded of the opening words that Elmer Kelton wrote in his book, The Day it, or the Time It Never Rained. Uh, we're kind of repeating that stage of history again. Uh, so if you want to read about enduring a drought, so maybe prepare yourself for this one, you might want to go back and read that. But I want to read just the opening paragraph. I know I've done this once before for you, but uh, with Joel, it just uh, sounds right. It crept up out of Mexico, touching first along the brackish Pecos and then spreading in all directions like a cancerous blight, burning a scar up on the land. Oh, it's just another dry spell, men said at first. Ranchers watched water holes recede to brown puddles of mud that their livestock would not touch. They watched the rankweed shrivel as the west wind relentlessly sought them out and smothered them with its hot breath. They watched the grass slowly lose its green, then curl and fire up like dying cornstalks. Men grumbled, but you learn to live with the dry spells if you stay in West Texas. There were more dry spells than wet ones. No one expected another drought like that of 33. And the really big dries, like 1918, came once in a lifetime. So why worry, they said. It would rain this fall. It always had. But it didn't. And many a boy would become a man before the land was green again. So Elmer Kelton led us into considering this great disaster that came on this part of the world back in the 1950s. A disaster that more and more as each passing month goes by, we can relate to. Well, the prophet Joel opens up talking about a great disaster that had fallen, befallen his land. Only his disaster was a little different. It was locust, wasn't it? Now, locust in a primarily agricultural society was indeed a disaster. Now, farmers can put up with a few pests that come along and claim a portion of their crop. It's kind of what you have to do in farming. But when they come like armies, 
Many of you have seen perhaps representations of locust plagues where they look like great clouds as they come up over the horizon and descend upon the land. Joel describes it as an army marching across and up and down and around. He describes it as as horses pulling chariots. He says it even sounds like a crackling fire as it sweeps up over the hills and down in the valleys. He says before these locusts, the land looks like the Garden of Eden, but if you turn and look behind the locusts, it is as desolate as a wilderness. It is the worst that they'd ever seen. And he tells the older people, he says, remember this and tell your children. And let them tell their children and let their children tell their children. They are going through the worst possible times. Now, why is it so important to repeat such a bad story? Well, for one thing, Joel wants them to tell the whole story. Not just the disaster and the difficult time, but especially to tell how they survived it. To tell what they did when times were so bad. What was it that they turned to? What did they do when it seemed like there was nothing that they could do? That story is important for generations to hear that follow after this generation. Because while experience may be the best teacher, there are things that you don't want to have to experience. There comes a time when it's much wiser to learn from those who have gone through something before than having gone through it and made the wrong decisions and having suffered the consequences. Because too often, those consequences can be devastating. Those consequences can be deadly. So here to his people, as they're going through a time of crisis, he says, you tell the young people how you made it through this crisis, what it is you did, because they will have their own crises in their lives. And let it pass down from generation to generation to generation, because every generation will face its own difficulties. Every individual will have times of crisis and times that are just simply hard to face. And what do you do? Now, the little things we can handle, we can sort of handle the little bumps in the road. But what happens when you hit the walls? What do you do then? What do you do when you don't know what to do? And to whom do you turn or what do you turn when you don't know where to turn? That is the message of Joel. And that is why we need to hear it today. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think if I did, I think I'd know how many hands would go up. When I say, how many of you have faced difficulties and crises in your lives? And those of us who have years yet to live know that hard times will come again. So, what do we do? Well, let's listen to what Joel records for us. He records the Word of God. And he says, this is what you need to tell the people to do whenever they're facing difficulties in their lives. We're going to begin reading in verse 12 
of chapter 2 of Joel. And it says, the Lord says, even now, even now, even now as you look out your window and you see that your crops are devastated, even now as you wonder, what are we going to eat tomorrow? What are we going to have next month? Even now as we don't know how you're going to make it through this time in your life, even now, the Lord says, return to me with your whole heart. Even now, when you don't know who to turn to, turn to me. Whatever else you do in a time of difficulty, make sure you turn to me. Now, the rest of the message of Joel is unpacking that phrase. How do you turn to God? Well, he's going to talk about how to do it. He's going to talk about why you should do it. And most importantly, I think, well, as importantly as those anyway, he's going to talk about what to expect when you do turn to the Lord in times of difficulties. Well, how do you do it? Well, we keep reading here. It says, turn to me with your whole heart. He says, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And, and this is the standard answer that we have, especially in the Old Testament, but it blends over into the New Testament as well. That whenever you turn to the Lord, you turn to Him with all of your being. Here, fasting is mentioned. And how they would, they would go and, and they would, would uh, wear older clothing or they would wear on sackcloth or even sometimes they would tear their clothing, taking away the, the beauty and, and recognizing that, that God was their only source of help. He says, but even though you're fasting, I want you to do it with your heart. Don't just go through the outward motions to make it look like you are calling to me. You, in the very depths of your heart, you, in your very soul, know that I am the only help that you have and turn to me. I'm reminded of a passage in Isaiah where Isaiah is kind of fussing at the people of his day because they are outwardly turning to the Lord, but not turning truly in their hearts to the Lord. And he talks about fasting too. And he says, this is the kind of fasting I'm talking about. If you truly want to return to me, we'll do these things. Loose the bonds of injustice. Find those who are oppressed and set them free. Go out and share what bread you have with the hungry. Go out and find the homeless and give them a home. And when you see those that don't have clothes, give them clothes. And most importantly of all, do not hide yourself from your own kin. That last phrase there really, boy, we could unpack that, couldn't we, Brian? How so many times when things are going wrong, the first people we hide from is our family. Joel is saying, Isaiah is saying, the answer, yes, is to turn to the Lord, but make sure you really turn to the Lord. That your eyes are up on Him and that you truly do trust Him to come and to help. Well, he goes on to say why you should do this. Why bother in this particular instance? You know, this is a mess that I got myself into. 
Uh, this is a mess that is so big, it involves my family members. This is a mess that, you know, I've lost my job. What, whatever it is, these circumstances are way out here. What good will it do to turn to the Lord? Why should I bother? Joel goes on to say, because he is a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The message of the Bible, the message of the gospel, is that you can trust God. You can trust Him to always be a God who will respond in grace, in mercy, and in love. Joel says this. Later on, it's interesting, when Peter began preaching his first gospel sermons, if you read those sermons carefully, you find out that what Peter is preaching is this. You can trust God, and we know we can trust Him because He sent His only Son to die for us. And if He loves you that much, you can trust Him with your life. You can trust Him by giving Him who you are. You can trust Him by giving Him your future. You can trust Him by, by living the way He's calling you to live, knowing that that is the best life possible. You can trust Him because He abounds in steadfast love and because He is always gracious and always merciful. So the first two parts of the instruction when we face times of crisis are these. Number one, turn to the Lord. Why? Number two, because you can trust Him. And the third part, what was He going to do? What can you expect from God whenever you do these things? You turn to Him trusting that he will answer. I think verse 14 begins with two of the most honest words of all Scripture. And we preachers oftentimes get up here and tell you things like, if you will do this, if you will do this, then everything is going to be wonderful for you. It'll fix your whole life. You know, we just make all kinds of promises what God is going to do if you will simply do things the way I tell you to do them. I love the way Joel presents the message. He says, when things get really bad, when you're in times of crisis, turn to the Lord, trust the Lord. You can trust him. And what will he do? Verse 14, who knows? Now, isn't that refreshing honesty? Who knows what he will do? Who knows, he may turn and bless, but you don't know that for a fact. So often we decide what he's supposed to do, you know? Here's how God's supposed to get me out of this. He's supposed to do this. This is my problem. He should fix it this way. And we turn to him and lo and behold, it doesn't work that way. And we get frustrated with him thinking he's not much of a God because he's not doing it the way I told him to. Or the way I figured it out that it should go. This goes back then, you know, if we start feeling that way, Joel would say, go back to point two. 
(laughs) You can trust Him. He is gracious. He is merciful. Your job is to turn to Him. Your job is to trust Him, even though you don't really know exactly how He is going to help you. This story always reminds me in a strange way of the story of David. Remember when David got himself in a big mess? He had a woman that was carrying his baby that was married to another man and wasn't his wife. And talk about a mess. People were finding this out. Nathan the prophet was going around telling everybody what had happened. And what do you do? How do you get out of that mess? The baby is born. The baby is sick. And you can imagine the guilt that David feels, the shame that David feels. And what he does is he turns to the Lord with fasting, with prayer. In fact, what he does is he goes to bed and turns his face to the wall, Scripture tells us. All this is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, 15 through 23 in there. And his, his servants are worried about him because he's not eating. He won't really respond to them because he is so upset about all the mess that he has caused and about this baby being sick. Well, eventually the baby dies. The servants don't know what to do. They said, you know, if he was that upset when the baby was sick, I don't think he can live through the, the news that the baby has died. So they are arguing about who has to tell David. And as they're in the background saying, you tell him. No, you tell him. I don't want to tell him. You tell him. David figures out what they're talking about, and he turns to them and says, has the baby died? And with heavy hearts, they say yes. And they watch as David then rises from the bed, takes a shower, changes his clothes, And sits down to eat. And they said, we don't understand this. You were so upset when the baby was sick. And now the baby has died and you're going on with life. And he said, it's not that I'm not sad. But while the baby was sick, I prayed thinking perhaps the Lord would spare his life. And now that he is gone, he can never come back to me. But oh, I will go to him. And you say, well, that's a strange story for the Bible. That's not the the triumphant solution we're supposed to have. Everything's supposed to work out good in the end. It may not be what we want to hear, but it's the truth. Did God bless David? Oh, yes. Did God give him his grace And his mercy? Oh, yes. It wasn't the way that David had asked for. But David was a friend of God and trusted that God was working for his good. I love a little prayer that King Jehoshaphat prayed. Don't hear the name Jehoshaphat much anymore. Any of you young couples that are thinking about future children You might want to jot that one down if you want to be a little different. Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 
chapter 20, verse 12. We don't spend much time in Chronicles. It kind of repeats a lot of Kings, and by the time we've read through Kings, we sort of give up on Chronicles. But Chronicles got a lot of interesting information from a different viewpoint, but I digress, okay? Jehoshaphat is facing a crisis. Things are bad. He doesn't know what to do. Listen to his prayer. It's short. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Yeah. I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to face this. But what I'm going to do throughout the whole thing is to keep my eyes on you. It's all we can do when we don't know what else to do is to make sure our eyes are fixed on him. Well, you know the end of the story of Joel and what happened. Eventually, the plague was lifted. The locust went away. Eventually, the crops returned and people were able to enjoy life again. But even more importantly than that, God took this opportunity to give a promise that has blessed our lives as well as theirs. He said, you know, the day is coming whenever I'm going to pour my spirit out upon all flesh, and that every person who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, that was a great promise because back in that day, God did not freely give his spirit to all people. In fact, if we read the Old Testament closely, we find out that the spirit of God rested only upon those special folks like Moses or Samson or Gideon or the prophets. It wasn't something available to all flesh and to anyone. It's interesting to me that one time Moses, as recorded in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 29, he says, you know what I wish? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. And how I wish that the Lord would put his spirit on each one of them. Well, Joel gave us the promise that one day it would happen. And on the day of Pentecost, it was announced by Peter, it is here. The Spirit of the Lord is here. And now, from now on, each person who looks to the Lord in trusting faith of Jesus Christ will receive the gift of the Spirit. And each person who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, not only for eternity, but if we are calling upon the name of the Lord and keeping our eyes fixed on Him. He will be merciful and give us his grace through every difficulty and every crisis of our lives. This is our faith. This is the gospel. Let's stand and sing.